<clears throat> My name is Celeste, <clears throat> and I'm a real alcoholic. <laughs> and um, I just want to let you know is that I'm extremely nervous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I just want to call myself out because we do this in AA meetings, is that this is my first time. So bear with me. <laughs> I've done 10 minutes before, but never this one. <laughs> this is a stretch. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> like, like they say, uh, you know, pain is a touchstone for spiritual growth. Believe me. Why can't it come like Sundays and whipped cream, you know? Ay, ay, ay. So anyway, I want to say uh, congratulations to those who took time today. That's awesome. And also to all those newcomers that are here that announced themselves and the ones that didn't announce themselves too. And um, I hope you all stay and uh, recover from this um, hopeless state of mind and body as uh, this program has done for me. I, uh, my sobriety date is November 21st, 2007. I have a little over seven and a half years of continuous, uninterrupted sobriety all due to the fellowship and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that's laid out in the big book. And um, <clears throat> let me take a breath here. I have to tell you, man, this is like the greatest high up here right now. My, my adrenaline and my, 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 my dopamine is like screaming. My cortisol is screaming. I mean, man, don't ever turn down an opportunity like this, you know. So when I, <laughs> This is like the best high you're going to get in sobriety right now. Whew. Ah. Mm. Thanks again, Lori. And I've been, <clears throat> um, I've been coming to this meeting ever since I got sober. And I'm, I'm good friends with Randy, who turned me on to this meeting. My home group is Mission Hills Lunch Bunch. Um, it meets daily. And um, I was a daily drinker. How many daily drinkers do we have in the crowd here today? I didn't think I was alone, and um, <clears throat> I, uh, um, I sponsor girls. I have a sponsor who's here, Patty C., <clears throat> and she has a sponsor, and she has lots of sponsees, and um, even so I have sponsees that have um, that are sponsoring now, too, which is such a gift, <clears throat> and they say that, you know, you really don't work the steps, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous until you work with somebody else and work through the steps with them, and that is truly the, <clears throat> truly the truth. Because uh, that's been my experience. Um, I learn more working with others. It's like really an incredible program. Um, I came here with a God. Um, but this God that I had didn't allow me to be me. Um, it was a God that um, uh, was like, uh, I think the best I could do would probably get to purgatory. But even that was a stretch for me. And it was more like on the other way. So <clears throat> even though I did have an understanding of it and I wasn't like new to the idea, I truly did not believe that this God could get me sober. And when I got here, they said, the only thing that's going to you know, get you sober, Celeste, is pray and uh, get an understanding of this God. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, really, really, I was, like, I was really sick when I got here. I'm going to back up a little bit, and uh, I was uh, raised in a brutally um, alcoholic family, and um, <clears throat> a, a typical, you know, time for me growing up is all I had was a lot of fear. I was traumatized, and I never knew, you know, uh, what would be okay or not okay. For example, um, you know, me and my sisters would all be taking a little, you know, bath. My dad, who was the alcoholic in the family. You know, we'd come home and everything would be fine one week. The next week we'd be ripped out by our hair and spanked to death. You know, it's just like you just never knew what, you know, when the shoe was going to drop. 
other instances is that, you know, we're like really young kids and we're told to clean our room. And uh, uh, one week, you know, we cleaned it, of course, never perfect. Uh, next week, uh, he's throwing all of our toys <clears throat> off the second floor, of, off the balcony. We had a two-story house. And we had to pick them all up and throw them away. <laughs> it helped, you know, with cleaning the room the next week because we really didn't have much to clean up. <laughs> it was like it was really... Um, I was really scared, and I'm a really um, sensitive person. And so when I feel somebody's pain, it's like I literally feel it in my body. And uh, with this, I was really traumatized. And there's like numerous instances as um, I was growing up that um, I just wanted to make this man happy so that I could have some peace. <clears throat> and uh, that never happened. <laughs> but boy, did I try. And then uh, my mom was just amazing. Uh, codependent and um, enabler, and um, but what a great loving woman she is. And I have an older sister and two younger sisters, and my dad was an incredible athlete growing up, and he um, was great at soccer, track, football, and he said, when we raise these kids, we got to make sure they stay off the streets and they have to get into sports. Thank God for that. We started out in gymnastics, um, me and my older sister and my younger sister. My other younger sister was too young. She was a baby. And um, I was terrible at gymnastics. Hope, oh, dear. No grace. It would give me headaches. And um, it just wasn't for me. And my mom, she understood my pain. But I had to find something. So <clears throat> they were trying out for the swim team um, at the YMCA um, the next day. So she says, you want to try out for the swim team? I'm like, sure, anything but this gymnastics. And I tried out my leotard. I didn't even have a one-piece suit. And it just so happens that uh, my sister, my youngest sister, was getting pool safe. We were one of the only houses on our block that had a swimming pool. So she was six months old, and they had um, a a teacher come over to get her pool safe, and in that time, that summer before, uh, she taught me how to do the strokes. And so it just so happened that I happened to be a very good swimmer. And so after the first swim meet, um, I got three blue ribbons. And this also started, which was um, I was really happy for, but this also started was uh, all those friends that were so happy I joined the swim team, all my girlfriends, all of a sudden really disliked me. <laughs> And that continued on throughout my whole life. Uh, they were very jealous. I was really hurt. I'm this ultra-sensitive little girl, and she's just trying to be accepted somewhere and um, find some love, and uh, it wasn't there. But the one thing I did find in that swimming was is that it was my escape. And I have these blocks of, um, <clears throat> of um, periods of, you know, where I was. I have these three stages of, like, addiction because um, my drug of choice is more. And I had this whole block of, like, my swimming career, which was, like, 13, 14 years. And then I have this block of my alcoholism, drug addiction, and workaholism. And then I have the block now, which I have the addiction of spiritual growth, AA, fellowship, and um, loving life. <laughs> so in this first, group, this first section, it was pretty intense for me. And, uh, but the great thing was is in the swimming part is that I was able to escape and I was able to find the oblivion that I was looking for because being at home was no fun. And uh, it was very, very stressful, and it was hard, and uh, it was just chaotic. And so I dove into that really seriously, and I just so happened to be very good at this uh, swimming thing. And um, I, I uh, uh, 
I just say is I, um, I progressed extremely quickly. By the time I was eight years old, I was already in a senior workout. By the time, uh, shortly after that, I was swimming, um, compete, um, working out doubles every day, which is working out in the morning, working out at night, lifting weights. And then, then on to the senior, um, workout, which, um, we worked out numerous hours throughout the day. So I didn't have to go to school too often because I was training for the Olympics. So you only have to do core classes. And so I didn't really know too many people at school. And then my friends at the swim team, um, uh, they were either much older than I or uh, the younger ones didn't really want to talk to me. <clears throat> They're pretty jealous. And it was great because I was able to escape. And I could just dive into this swimming and I could get into that oblivion. And what did I do? I just worked out harder and harder and harder and uh, more and more and more. And I progressed. I was ranked um, in the top ten for quite some time in the United States. Uh, shortly after that, <clears throat> I was able to, uh, my dad's Peruvian, I was able to get dual citizenship. So I swam internationally for Peru and domestically for the United States. And through the swimming was, it was just awesome. I could just dive in and I could just like not have to feel anything and not have to um, um, live in that reality that was actually what I had to go home to. Every night that I got home, uh, my sisters were so excited because after I got off a night workout, so my dad always had to pick on somebody and it was usually me because they couldn't handle it and they would go crying and running around the house. And uh, my mom had had it, so she'd be happy. So I was either a swimming too much, I wasn't swimming enough. Whatever it was, I was never doing anything right for this man. But at least it was okay for me to take the, the heat, you know, so that they could take a break and they wouldn't be able to have to deal with it. <coughs> um, there's a couple instances, you know, it's interesting. My coach always said, you know, if the one day if you'd stop swimming for your dad, you would just be more than phenomenal, <laughs> even more phenomenal than you are now. And I'm like, I don't swim for that da-da-da-da-da, you know. I said, I can't stand him. And um, <clears throat> later on in life, I realized that it was the truth, that all I wanted to do was please him and have some peace, you know. Lack of power was my dilemma. Um, I never knew. It's like even if he drank more, sometimes he'd be happy, drank less, whatever. The way we grew up, too, is like we had the only swimming pool, and we had this pocket neighborhood where I grew up. I grew up in L.A. near Pasadena. And everybody would come over after work to our house because we had the swimming pool. So all these people come over, and they'd, all they do is drink every single day. So I just had to grow up th growing up thinking that what you do is you work hard, you come home, and you drink a lot. And when they were drinking, um, we were able to do more fun stuff because we weren't yelled at. We would be able to, you know, uh, you know, play around in the pool a little bit more the way we're not supposed to play and push people around. And we would get away with it when everybody was drinking. And then they would change. You know, all the people around the pool would change. And uh, they would be happier and more jovial. And I thought, oh, wow, I mean, whatever this alcohol stuff is, it really looks like a good time. But I really didn't know and didn't pay too much attention. I just know that a lot of people did this every single day. And um, my, man, my dad um, <clears throat> uh, worked for the government <clears throat> for uh, his whole entire um, career, although every single day he came home saying they're handing out pink slips. And if you don't know what a pink slip is, that means that they're going to be laying people off. So we also lived in this constant fear that uh, we're not going to have a home, we're not going to have food, and he just like let, let us live on the edge all the time like that, always in this constant state of fear. Uh, and then, of course, he ended up you know, retiring 40 years later from that same job. <laughs> uh, then, uh, you know, I just realized that, uh, you know, throughout them, 
you know, coming over and the daily drinking. And then my dad also, I know that it was that madman era where I knew when he came home, he had already been drinking during the day. I just never knew what was ever going to happen when you got home. Like I, you know, finally sneak into the garage where he was, a he was, his hobby was racing cars. So he'd always be in the garage and I'd finally say, dad, can I go to the movies with my friends tonight? And he would say, sure, that's okay. You know, they get to the door, the friends to pick me up. And he'd be like, where are you going? And I said, well, you said I could go to the movies. He said, not anymore. He's like, go up to your room. You can't go. So it's just like this constant state of not knowing what was going to happen next. With uh, being able to have this dual citizenship, um, he decided that it would be great kudos for him that I become a swimmer for Peru. I didn't really have any choice in the matter. I was just shipped off on a plane. I started going down to Peru when I was uh, almost 11 years old. I had a red ribbon around my wrist so that my aunts and uncles would know who I was when I got there. And I would swim for three months and travel all over South America competing for Peru um, for three months every, um, every year and then come back and then compete for the United States on all of our national competitions. And it was really rough. I had a lot of scary times that happened um, in South America. South America is definitely a third world country. So once again, I'm in constant fear. And uh, I just, like, keep doing whatever this man says so that I can just, like, have some peace. And also, it's my escape. And I just love this thing swimming because, you know what, I'm getting out of it, that oblivion, that um, <clears throat> which soon to be was became, you know, the switch that I hit for alcoholism. <clears throat> so I was traveling around South America, had some really, really terrifying events that happened. <clears throat> uh, they would um, take my clothes out of my suitcase, the federals, the federales that would travel with us and uh, put drugs in them. And uh, I wouldn't find out until I got finally through the customs area and they would have my clothes in another suitcase. She was a young, cute little girl. Let's just let her get away with it, you know. And I was very scared, and this happened. And the next time I said, this is not happening. I have locks. I have chains. I said, nobody's going to be opening this suitcase. And I'm pleading with my coaches and everybody else as we travel to other countries in South America, please, just don't do this to me again. And they're like, oh, no, we'll never do this to you again. Sure enough, you know. <clears throat> so always living in fear. And thank God I didn't get caught um, any of those times in South America. <clears throat> Now, <clears throat> coming back, I, um, I was hijacked. <clears throat> um, actually, I was hijacked twice. Um, the first time was pretty devastating. They took over the, broke out of the prison, and they took over the whole entire airport as I was coming back to L.A. And <clears throat> I won't get into detail, but it was pretty horrific. And I'm really grateful that I survived that. But as soon as I got into L.A., uh, I kissed the ground. <laughs> and then number two was, is I'm trying to explain to this how much fear I was to my parents, and uh, they weren't really listening. Uh, especially my dad. And then they said, well, you know, we need you to go back to South America and swim in this other competition um, in another couple months. And I'm like, I ain't going. <laughs> I said, I'm not getting on a plane, and I am not going back there. <laughs> Things are way different in South America than they are here. <laughs> and uh, he's like, no. He goes, do you want to quit swimming, or are you going to go? And I said, well, swimming is <laughs> my drug. <laughs> I said, no way. I said, there's no way I'm going to quit swimming. He goes, then you get on that plane. And, uh, you know, thank God I did, and I did get over that fear and ended up swimming really well and had a great trip. Some other instances that happened was, uh, you know, that, you know, I came home early from a workout one time, and it was just me and my dad, and he saw that I had just gone to this invitation. I had seven gold medals on the table, 
And he only went to a swim meet once a year, and but yelled at me every single day, letting me know whether I was swimming too much or not swimming enough, and that I wasn't really good anyway. <laughs> and then uh, he... And it was rare that it was, I was the only one in the house. And he looked at those and he says, he goes, these are lies. And he threw them at me. And he says, you either bought these or you stole them from somebody else. Because every time I see you swim once a year, you swim like shit. <laughs> and I'm devastated, you know. And all I'm trying to do is please this man and get a little peace. And there's just nothing like that happening. So I just kept diving into that whole entire, uh, you know, swimming career. And then uh, apparently, you know, he said, you know, this – you know, this club that I was swimming for in L.A. was just not good enough for me, so I had to move now. Another traumatizing thing. I had to board and move away from my family, <clears throat> and I swam for Mission Viejo Natadors. <clears throat> uh, and that was a whole experience in itself. <laughs> and once again, it's, you know, I just like, all I can do is my only lifeline is this, you know, my drug of swimming. And um, <clears throat> after that whole uh, thing, I ended up getting scholarship you know, for college, and then I was just burned out. I didn't like the coach, and I just ended up saying, I just have got to stop this, and I was just super burned out at the end. And I continued on in college, and then as soon as I stopped swimming in college uh, is when the light switch uh, shifted for me uh, to my alcoholism and drinking. Um, I had tried, you know, being in a South American family. We had a, you, you guys might not know what this is, but we were served cold duck, um, for dinner when we were really young. You know, yeah, they did put, you know, liquor on our gums when we were teething. But I didn't really have anything like I didn't feel like, oh, wow, when I first had a first beer. Because when traveling through South America, they didn't have bottled water. All they had were sodas, which were really sweet, or they had uh, uh, beer. And so um, sometimes I would, you know, have some uh, beer, but I didn't really like the taste. And it didn't really give me an effect because I wasn't really thinking of it like that. And I had it just because I was really thirsty and I didn't have water. Because the only way you could do is have bottled water. I mean, they didn't have bottled water. They would boil the water and so forth. And <clears throat> so it wasn't like I had this phenomenon. I was like, wow, you know, everybody's singing, you know, that I was able to like, you know, like I found alcohol and it's like my life changed. It was more like uh, my sister, who's two years older than me, she was um, the drug addict and I was the alcoholic. And she introduced me in that time right after I quit swimming to cocaine. And throughout the whole entire time, sometimes the, the diversion of the attention being on me was diverted to her because she was uh, dealing drugs in our house. She was the total druggie. The only way I could um, get her to take me to workouts was if I went to with her to parties because she wasn't allowed to go to parties without me because I was supposed to keep her safe so that she wouldn't go out doing those drugs. And she got kicked out of the house a few times. Uh, thank God she's alive today because a few times I thought, you know, my dad was going to take her out. Uh, so she's the one who all of a sudden introduced me to this. And so my parents now, my two younger sister, my two younger sisters are living in Spain. My dad's a head representative for NASA in Spain at this time. And we're going to college in California. She's in LA and I'm in Orange County. And as soon as that light switch changed for me, when I was like so devastated from this, um, quitting swimming is all I knew. I was married to it and I didn't know how to handle this divorce. I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to do any of it. <clears throat> and I didn't have anybody to turn to. I would have turned to my mom. She was not around. It would be a $700 phone call, even if I whined to her for five minutes to Spain in those days. And um, <clears throat> so I relied on my sister, and she was having in to do the cocaine and all these other drugs. So I'd go up to L.A. and see her. And sure enough, I loved cocaine. And I loved drinking. So I found my new escape, and I just like literally went from one to the other. I drank every single day for 25 years until I found this program. Um, 
<clears throat> I did. I never even thought that it would ever be an option to um, stop. It was just not an option. It wasn't even coming to my head, really. Uh, it was just like, how can I keep doing all these things out here so that I could drink the way I wanted to drink and use the way I wanted to use? <clears throat> so going up to L.A. a lot, of course, you know, she was hanging out with all these druggies. Of course, what do you do, you know? You, you, you know, you start dating the drug dealer, right? <clears throat> so I ended up starting dating the drug dealer, so that was a good thing, so I could get lots of cocaine. And then, of course, you know, going to school in Orange County just wasn't working for me anymore. It, it took a toll. So I ended up transferring up to L.A., and after I transferred up to L.A. after a year and a half, uh, she was ready to transfer up to Northern California. She went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And it was an easy transfer, uh, so now I'm closer to the drugs. I have the drug dealer boyfriend for a period of time. And I, um, I learn how to do the dealing, you know. i got to make sure I have enough of this because I love it. <clears throat> and being from Peru, okay, they had a few contacts, you know. So <laughs> it helped out. And they being at my sister, so we would split it. She would deal up there in Northern California, and I would deal down here in Southern California. And that went on for a period of time. I was still in school, still working a couple jobs, um, coaching swimming at a high school, of course, you know, completely not sober. And it was funny because, you know, here I am getting these kids off of drugs, and my the parents are, like, praising the crap out of me, and so is the principal, and they have no clue. It's just I can see it because it takes one to know one, right? <laughs> anyway, I did do some justice there. <clears throat> then, uh, so as this, as this um, goes on is that... Uh, the um, <clears throat> so I, I, I start dealing and this, then things get bad and I end up having better stuff than the drug dealer boyfriend had so that's not good either <laughs> I start taking his clients which happen to be a lot of police attorneys, judges and so he isn't happy and he's a reliable source for this city so you can see how that adds up <laughs> so my drug dealer ex-boyfriend ain't happy about this at all and I kind of knew that things were getting a little bit too hot now, and I just know that things are going to start crumbling. So I go up to Big Bear with my other drug dealing boyfriend that's helping me do these, you know, drug dealings, right? And we go to what was it? I went to Big Bear for like three or four days and just was nonstop. And I said, when I'm done, I'm done. When we come back, I said, you can take all the rest of the stuff out of the house, all the triple balance, the whole thing. And I said, just get it away, and I don't. I just want to start a new life. Well. That thought was like a little bit 12 hours, not soon enough. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so they, <clears throat> so the cops ramrod through the door of the apartment, and uh, it was bad. Uh, the great thing was is it's my first spiritual experience and huge God shot. <laughs> Everything, which I had no clue where it was, I thought he had put it in his trunk of his car. And uh, they didn't leave one stone unturned in that apartment, believe me. Uh, they, um, it was all wrapped up in the sleeping bag on my front porch. Yeah, I was pretty uh, terrified that whole entire time. And I really did. I, I got scared straight from cocaine from that moment forward. There was like no way. I mean, I literally saw I was going to do quite some time because they had enough evidence against me, and I wasn't doing it kind of small anymore. <clears throat> and then I called my sister from a pay phone, and she goes, I said, you have no idea my phone's been tapped. I'm sure you're going to get busted next. Run and hide. Being the good drug addict, you know, sister of mine, she's like, hell no. She kept dealing for two more years. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't go visit her. And um, that kind of like ruined my whole entire cocaine experience because after that point, you know, I was just way too uh, paranoid to ever like do it again. So what happened there was my drinking increased immensely. 
uh, to try and detox from cocaine. What did I do? I just drank more. And uh, it was... uh, it was a real turning point for me. <clears throat> and I was super, super scared. <clears throat> so I wanted to change my life at that point and uh, really focus on school and start um, really uh, trying to do those things that I was told I was supposed to do and I was supposed to be to have this great life. And <clears throat> I kept going to school and, it, and I, I did okay and then I, uh, I loved traveling from all the traveling from, from all the swimming that I did because I traveled all over the place. At night, I went to uh, travel school, and I ended up um, finally getting a job as a travel agent. It happened to be very, very good. And it happened to be an entertainment travel agency. So I did a lot of entertainment <clears throat> uh, travel, and I was very good at it. I ended up meeting uh, the gentleman that I ended up marrying uh, from a friend of mine who also went to that school. And then things flourished um, from there. And I, I just, um, and I, of course, what do you do? You marry your uh, drinking buddy. I mean, he drank like I did. I said, come on, let's just go, we'll go do this, you know. We hung out together. We had a good time together. <clears throat> and I'm this overachiever, and I'm also this workaholic, and I was very good at what I did. So I moved up the ladder pretty quickly in entertainment. <clears throat> and then I ended up starting my own business. And um, I still look back today, and I don't even know how. I was like a high-functioning alcoholic. I was just functioning high. <laughs> I, I really, I mean, I look back, and I, like, I was under a lot of stress, and I had a lot of huge accounts, and I was very successful. But what it did for me is I was able to drink the way I wanted to drink. I didn't have to. I mean, I started my own business. I had all free right to do whatever I wanted to do. And I had these qualifiers, you know, because I didn't want to be like my dad, and I really never wanted to think that I was the alcoholic that he was. And I really didn't even know what alcoholic was, you know. I just figured that was a way of life. And that's, you know, that was your solution to being able to just be in oblivion at all times. And that's what I wanted to live. I wanted to live in oblivion because everything else was just way too hard. And why else would you want not to live like this? And and it continued on, and I did very well. And I, I, I had a son, and I did not drink when I was pregnant, but shortly after delivering, he was very colic, and I went right back to the way I was drinking before. <clears throat> Eventually, uh, it didn't work out with uh, you know, the cheating husband, so we ended up getting divorced, and I raised our son from three on. He moved to Arizona. And then I, gave, and then I had the right to drink even more. It was like my qualifier. Oh, poor woe is me. I volunteered to be the victim. And everybody around me kind of like gave me that little saving grace. They're like, oh, yeah, the poor thing, you know. Whatever. <laughs> and, and, the, and the drinking just continued. And I was able to just like have this high level of octane. I was never a blackout drinker. And when I didn't understand what blackout drinking was, I was like, when I heard people say they blacked out, I thought they passed out. And unfortunately, you know, I do remember a lot of it. <laughs> I wish I was a blackout drinker sometimes. And I was able to function that way. And I, I, I started drinking in the mornings. Um, at certain periods of time throughout my whole entire uh, drinking career and other times I would try and like um, not do that so that I could try and do the things I wanted to do. <clears throat> I was pretty successful and I was able to, I just got really burned out and I was able to sell that business and then right after that introduced to another gentleman and started two other new businesses with him and was partner in those and drank through all those too. 
And I was just like, <laughs> I'd be like ready to go to a business meeting or a business dinner, and I just throw 20 at the bartender, give me like three shots of tequila, and have them ready, you know, when I'm out of the bathroom, down them so I could just go deal with this meeting. I would go to great lengths to, to drink. I, I made it like this, this challenge in this game. It would have been so much easier if I had just put like a little bottle in my purse or something, but that was my story, you know. Then I'd be a real alcoholic. I just, I just had like, I mean, literally, I would like go, like walk miles to go get a drink, you know, in between a business meeting, knowing that I was like having a meeting somewhere that, you know, I mean, it was crazy. And I had these different qualifiers. I didn't drink hard liquor for a long time because my dad did, and I didn't want to be like him. But I love tequila, and I love wine, I love beer, and I drank a lot of it. <clears throat> And then after I started these other two businesses, boy, was it stressful. It was really stressful. And I was able to, you know, survive through those businesses. And as I was finally finishing up selling those two companies, and they sold at the same time, it was in 06. I, um, I finished the due diligence for one company at the same time I sold the last movie that I produced. And then I was um, right on. I, you know, my parents were going through a divorce after 44 years of marriage. I mean, I don't know why she stayed so long, but in the meantime is um, my mom worked for me throughout this whole entire time, so I kind of, like, took care of her, too. And I had my son, and we ended up, my sister just got out of the Navy, and we were in San Diego, and she goes, move from L.A. to San Diego. So we ended up all moving to San Diego. And my son at this time, I had made the decision to put him in boarding school for high school because of numerous reasons, traveling for business. Uh, he was a little bit, you know, too codependent on my mom and everybody else. It was just one of those things that he just needed that break. It was a really hard decision. Once again, that was really tough on me. <clears throat> his dad was really not a part of his life and still pretty much isn't. <clears throat> and then, uh, then the drinking just got turned on huge. I drank 24-7 for a whole entire year. I did not eat. I drank around the clock because I deserved it. I worked so damn hard, this and that. I like I I co-signed every single piece of bullshit I could co-sign for myself, and it was it was on. It was on, and I didn't hang out with anybody that didn't drink like I did. I hung out in bars. I was a bar drinker. I had a lot of fun. You know, my drinking was. I had a lot, a lot of fun in the beginning with my drinking. And then, you know, it just became a real habit, and I had to. And then at the end, it became a necessity. And then when I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous was a necessity, and then it became a habit, and now Alcoholics Anonymous is a ton of fun for me. So as I flipped that switch, you know, of being able to drink 24-7, I got real sick. And uh, it took me about 11 and a half months before I drank myself to rehab. And... Uh, I was really sick. My liver was like, you know, another limb. I could barely breathe. My ribs were pushed out. Um, I looked like I was pregnant because my liver was so huge. And um, and winding down to that, it was, I couldn't sleep. I had alcoholic insomnia throughout the whole entire life. I was pretty exhausted all the time. It was like not fun. And But I was in so much pain and worked out so hard for my whole swimming career that it was normal to me always to be tired, exhausted, and always being this overachiever. And then as I I drank 24-7 to get there, um, I just went to my mom. I really just wanted to die. I didn't feel like I deserved to live. And she just goes, I I wish I could have just blown my brains out, but that wasn't an option. I I didn't have the courage. And I couldn't die fast enough drinking. And so I went to her and I said, I truly, truly need your help. I, I can't do this anymore and I need to go somewhere else. I didn't know what rehab was. I never looked at it. I didn't watch TV. I didn't understand what it was. I didn't know what Alcoholics Anonymous was. Um, 
I, I didn't have any clue because I really didn't want to look at it, and I hoped that I was never, ever going to have to not drink. <clears throat> so she goes, okay, well, I looked around for some rehabs, and I don't even know what it was. I didn't care. She goes, I have a bed ready. She goes, in a week. Well, on my way to um, the 7-Eleven that morning because I ran out of liquor, and I'm here at the 7-Eleven, and I'm literally yelling at the 7-Eleven lady to open the doors because I think it opens at 6 a.m. or whatever. Why she's making coffee, and I'm like insane. I'm like, would you stop making the coffee and open these things? You have no idea. So I can get my beer so I can go home. So then I drank that. The bar opened at 10 a.m., the dive bar I used to go to. I was a bar drinker, and then I would continue on after that at home. <laughs> and then I get to the uh, dive bar, and as I was driving there, <clears throat> I... Uh, I just said, I just can't do this anymore. I was so sick. I was peeing blood. I knew that my whole entire body burned. My skin burned. Everything burned. And I just knew that I was dying, and I had either A, go to the hospital, or B, I just had to go somewhere. So she called me back from her work and said, there's a bed tonight. Make sure you're home, and make sure you're ready to go. I threw in a few things into this little duffel bag, and off we were to um, the rehab I went to is in Palm Springs. I drank the whole way up there. And because they even said, make sure she keeps drinking so she doesn't seizure. So I check into this rehab, and I'm scared, but I just know there's no other alternative. And so I'm sitting down with the nurse, and she's like, okay, now you got to fill out all these freaking papers. I'm like, fine, whatever it takes. And um, she does does a breathalyzer, and she takes my breathalyzer, and she looks at it, and she's like, "Uh, no, I don't think this is right. And uh, and she goes, you're just too normal. She goes, you, I blew a .46. So she goes, let, she goes, I don't even know what these numbers meant, you know. So she goes, let me get you another breathalyzer. So she does this breathalyzer thing. It's another .46. She goes, how can you this be? She goes, there's something wrong with these machines. And I grab her hand. I'm like, lady, you have no idea how much I drink. And she's like, I can't believe how normal you are. Let's get another one. And so she gets another one. I blew the same thing. And then all of a sudden, she has me sell these papers. And then she puts me in this waiting room. Well, there's this gentleman in the waiting room who just got flown in from Kentucky and he's sitting there telling me um, and he's pretty lit too and he's telling me hey Celeste he goes you know I just got you know intervened on by my family letter literally 48 hours ago he came in from Kentucky and I said right on and uh, (laughs) and he goes but the story goes on he says well I was able to get a FedEx outfit and a UPS outfit and I'm like for what he goes, I even got it in my right size. He goes, you wouldn't believe the great lengths that I went to get these outfits. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, so I can escape. And I'm like, holy shit. What did I get myself into here? Oh, my God. And then he looks over at me. He goes, you know what? The FedEx outfit, you know, is a little small on me. He goes, so you might be able to borrow it. And I'm like, and he goes, but you know, the problem with UPS, they only come every couple days. FedEx is better because they come every day. So I am panicked at this point. I have no idea what I am in for here. And I said, I have got to stay close to this guy. I mean, I cannot lose him. So I can borrow this FedEx outfit, right? Now I'm like in this panic. So finally I get through all this freaking signing of papers. And I finally, they, they finally, like my mom's ready to leave and they have this nurse in front of me. I'm scared. I'm like grabbing my mom's hand going, I ain't leaving. I'm not staying. I said, I'm going with you. She goes, she's pretty pissed now. She's had to deal with this alcoholic daughter of hers for many years. And believe me, she's done. And she's like, no, honey, you really have to stay. And so the nurse talks me into it. She's like, no. She goes, it's going to be good. And I knew I didn't have any alternatives. And she goes, uh, no, you just need to stay. And so I said, okay, I'm going to stay. So I'm like hard detoxing here. I had to clinically detox for almost three weeks. And my first night there, I'm freaked out. The next morning I get up, and there's this guy sitting next to me, and he just reads me the right act. 
He just puts me in my place. He's like, you know what, honey? And I'm shaking like crazy. I'm like flopping around like a fish out of water. And I am like really uncomfortable. And then he tells me i got to go take my picture. And I'm like, honey, can't we wait a little while for this? <laughs> I mean, I look like crap. He goes, no. He goes, you're going to be able to remember this picture so that you never want to come back here and this and that. I'm like, fine, fine. You know, I surrender to all you people. And then he gives me this buddy. And I'm like, thank God I have a buddy here. So this girl comes up and we go to the cafeteria and I am shaking like crazy. There's no way I can carry this tray. I mean, I'm like all over the place. And I'm like, you know, thank God I have this buddy so she can carry this tray. And I'm trying to hold my hand so that, you know, I can get food in my mouth because I'm shaking so bad. And uh, and it just goes on from there. And I'm like really embarrassed. I, I really don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. I, I, I'm just lost. So after a few days of... Um, they kicked me out of detox really early, and I didn't even know that because I don't know what the protocol is at this point. So they put me into a hall. And um, once I got into this hall, it was, uh, it was like <clears throat> really good to have all these ladies around to, you know, go through this together. <clears throat> and, the, and then the journey from then on is that the spiritual experience I had early on when I first got there was they had the family program, and my son and my mom came, and we're put in this circle to uh, – somewhat say like an amends to each other. And with this amends, uh, it was really hard. And I was done it in front of a lot of people, and I was able to tell them how sorry I was, and they were able to tell me a little bit how pissed off they were. And it was super hard. But, you know, from that moment forward, I was able to say, you know what, um, I deserve sobriety because I didn't feel like I deserved it up to that point. <clears throat> and then after that, um, I really dug into um, listening to whatever they had to say. When I first went there, I just wanted to dry out for 30 days. I had no intention of staying sober. It was my solution. <clears throat> and then after that, we were going to meetings on a regular basis out of rehab, and I had a bit of a spiritual experience there, too. I was at my morning AA meeting about six weeks sober, and I just felt like everybody in the room, like I knew them. And I had this this sense of ease and comfort. And I was like so excited to be here. And I didn't know any of the people there, but it was really, really moving for me. And I felt like I was at home. And we did work the steps. I was there for 90 days. And I worked the steps right away. And that was a really good thing because that, once again, gave me the feeling that I was able to um, deserve sobriety, getting rid of some of that. It was all the stuff that was separated me from the God that I have today that I really need to be close to <clears throat> because the only way I'm going to stay sober is with this relationship, you know, uh, you know, depending on my spiritual maintenance each day at a time. And it's, uh, it was starting to happen through doing the steps there. And it was a gradual, my spiritual experiences were subtle. They weren't like, um, a, you know, a, a bright room, you know, shining up like it was for Bill W. <clears throat> anyway, uh, as I went there and I got out of uh, rehab, and it was, um, <clears throat> I was still really hardcore detoxing. Uh, I, I had blackouts in sobriety. Um, they explained it to me, the doctors, um, where I was at, that their neurons break off from the synapse, and thank God we have a lot of neurons, so they look for new ones. So you could actually call me on the way to a meeting and ask me to go to lunch. I'd get to the meeting, to go to lunch after the meeting, and I wouldn't even remember that you even called me. It was really bizarre, and it happened for a while, and they said, you know what, it'll, in time, it'll start going away. I um, had horrible sweats for months at a time. I did not sleep. Um, I was <clears throat> really uncomfortable in my skin. One, one day at a time, you know, working this program and having a sponsor walk me through all these things was um, what would help me tremendously. Um, I just love this program. Um, 
I, I just did whatever they told me to do. I just did, you know, they said you got to go 90 and 90. I went to 99. You find a home group, I found a home group. Um, I surrendered to whatever you told me to do. I was really scared to ever drink again because for me to drink again was for to me to die, and that is the truth today. Because I don't drink. I never drank like a normal person, and I don't have the illusion that I ever will. <clears throat> um, and then as time went on, they said maybe one day, Celeste, you're going to be able to wake up and not think about drinking for a half an hour. And that finally happened. And I just, like, you know, really uh, relied on all the experience, strength, and hope that I got in the meetings and from all of you. And really uh, just, you know, like just showed up and did whatever I was told. I was told to do service immediately as I got out of rehab. There was um, a, a service opportunity to deliver food to terminally ill patients. I did that for three years. Today I uh, was I went to H and I and I signed up for whatever they needed help in. It just so happened to be the federal prison. I've been going to the federal prison um, every Monday for five and a half years downtown, and it's like the most amazing spiritual experience you ever get going there. And it really it keeps you sober one day at a time. That's for sure. And I, I work with a lot of girls, and that definitely you know you only can keep it as if you give it away. And it just is like an amazing, amazing program. But, you know, it's not easy. I'm in pain a lot. I have to, like, uh, you know, do a, I mean, a house cleaning every year, which I don't like to do, but I do it anyway. I work the steps. I work with others. I listen to people. And today I, I have this great sense of ease and comfort. I have a sense of well-being. Um, I'm friends with my dad today. Um, I'll never see him sober, but you know what? I have this great relationship with him. I've done the process of the amends, which is also an incredible, you know, spiritual experience. And I just have, I have a life now that I'm blessed beyond belief. And I can't tell you enough, you know, please stay if you're new because this is an amazing, amazing program. And I like how somebody told me early on in sobriety, he goes, he goes, you know, Sobriety is like, you know, like, um, how do you eat an elephant? He goes, he goes, one bite at a time. He goes, he goes, that's, you know, what sobriety is about. He goes, it's an ongoing, um, you know, spiritual experience. It's an ongoing process. And um, I'll never be recovered. <clears throat> I'll be recovered from the, the hopeless state of mind and body, but I will always be an alcoholic and an addict. And so I, I go to meetings on a daily basis, and I take my program very serious because I know that if I don't, um, my only other alternative is um, death or institutions, and, and it's not really where I want to be today. My life, I have so much fun in sobriety. I have a great group of um, friends. We have so much fun. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't fun. We have a really damn good time, and uh, you know what? Stick in the middle of the herd. Get some people, you know, get your posse together, and, um, you know, welcome to this great, great, great new way of life. Um, I have to tell you, you know, thanks so much for, you know, bearing with me. I wish I'd gotten to sobriety a little bit sooner. I, I, it's my first time. You know, it's my first time. And you know what? As everybody goes, as you know, you got to go out there and do it. You know, just as they said, you know, it's like I love that. <clears throat> you know, I always think this is what I think of AA. It's like, you know, I think of that um, Olivia Newton-John song. It says, let's get physical, physical. <laughs> All I think about AA is like, let's get vulnerable, vulnerable. <laughs> I swear, it's like I, all I am is vulnerable all the freaking time in this program. And you know what? You have to be emotionally naked to get this thing. And you know, it's uncomfortable. It's not easy. But you know what? If you do do it, you, you get blessed beyond belief and you get like all this great, great, you know, graces from God. It's, you can't even explain. It's like on a regular basis, I pray all day long. And um, the God that I have today is just an amazing God. And I just want to say thanks all of you for saving my life. 
because I am truly appreciative. And thanks again also for, you know, when they say, you know, let's take a moment of silence and pray for the person who's still out there who's in the rooms or out of the rooms suffering. That was me for a long time. So I want to say thank you for all your prayers. And I love all of you. And uh, thanks for this opportunity.